whenever my world falls apart I never lose hope or lose heart Whatever the form of the storm that may brew Not with you to lean on, darlings, you Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn, playwright, filmmaker, and professor of communications at American University. And each episode we have someone from the theater who you'd see on stage, backstage, or in the house to discuss an original cast album they love. And today we are joined by actor, director, and managing director of Monumental Theater, Beth Amon. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Feeling good? You limped on in here to... I sure did. Give us a... Me and my sprain foot. Well, it happened all in the name of democracy. Exactly. That's what's important. When you mean you were going to march for equality, you really marched. You mar- that's good. Hey, you, you put your money where your, your foot, foot was, and that's all there is to it. And you chose... Wicked. <laughs> that's really appropriate, I think, <laughs> actually, you, to sing is. that. I think that's a very appropriate <laughs> thing to do. Yes, you chose Wicked. How did Wicked come into your your life? I actually called my mom about this today because it just feels like something I've always known about, but I Mm. know it came out in 2003. I was 12, and I just remember having the soundtrack. I called my mom, I called my best friend, and we decided that my best friend gave me the soundtrack when we were like 12 or 13, and then it just became like the musical theater soundtrack of my life. Like, I had, like, eighth grade romances that I related to, like, Alphaba and Glinda and Fiero. And, like, everybody who was anybody did for good at, like, their high school talent show. And I just was hooked. I think this was, like, the first musical that was really mine. And I could sing every single word and was obsessed and have not really stopped since. Okay. Did you see it when it was at the Kennedy Center recently? I didn't. So I saw it on Broadway when I was like 15 on like a bus trip. Mm-hmm. And then it came around on the national tour to the Hippodrome in Baltimore mm-hmm. in 2007. And I saw it like twice in a week. Oh, wow. Um, but I haven't seen it since then. So there was okay. a lot of like refreshers of like, how does this show go beyond the <laughs> album for me this week? Yeah. All right. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So it's a, I mean, it's a powerhouse of a show. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. still running here 14 years after it opened I know. on so Broadway. So I think the first thing we need to do, and it may take some time, but we'll figure it out, is get this out of the way. Explain. Could you please? (laughs) Because I've never seen the show. I have the album. I've had it for a while. I listened to it several times. I listened to it actually twice as many times as I normally do in preparation for this. You should know. And we'll come into that in a minute. Uh, But I didn't know the story, I don't think, until last year or something. I finally read it. Online, just to be like, what is exactly happening? Yeah, I think they do a really good job of like keeping the soundtrack separate from what the actual story is, which Mm -hmm. in some ways is like, oh God, but I don't know what's actually happening. But in other ways, when I saw it, like I knew every single word to the soundtrack and Mm -hmm. was like in love with it, obsessed. As soon as the first note of the overture played, I was in tears. So, like, Oh yeah, I'm not. I'm not joking. Like it literally was just the <laughs> and just bawling, that was it, right. like done. <laughs> so excited and thought I knew everything about it. But they do a really solid job of keeping the twists and turns out of the soundtrack, mm-hmm. which 
was kind of a nice surprise if you think you know it so well and then eventually get to see it and are surprised and entranced and excited and still like with the familiar music that you know. So it's about the Wicked Witch of the West and the Good Witch of the North before Dorothy shows up and messes everything up in their version. You kind of have to separate yourself from the story of the Wizard of Oz first. Um, And it starts with a present time. Dorothy's been there. The Wicked Witch is dead. Glinda is saying, look, everyone, we did all this stuff. It's great. And starts to say, like, well, no, like, don't get so mad at Alphaba. Let's take a moment. She's just a person. And it goes into a flashback from when they met when they were in school uh, at their university and goes through how they started a friendship, which at first was, like, they didn't like each other. And then they did like each other. And they, like, became friends and allies. And then they went to the wizard and goes through all of that. And I was going back through the plot today to try and, like, how would I summarize this? And there's just no way. Not really, no. <laughs> it's not possible. That's the, it, it's, one of the, it's a funny plot because you can do it really fast. You can say it's the story of the Wicked Witch of the West before Dorothy shows up and then after. And it's all from her point of view about her friendship with, with Glinda. Mm-hmm. That's a short version. But I've skipped about 47 characters in doing that. You can Um, talk about how the wizard isn't really that great and how the lion was like casually. There was like an animal issue where they were trying to silence animals and Elphaba's like an activist. And like Fiero is actually the scarecrow. Spoilers. Right. And I didn't know. That's fine. And it's because that's actually I mean, that's on the that's on the cast album. You can you can sort of glean. Yeah, you can pick up. And the Bach is the Mm -hmm. is the Tin Man. I I remember being very confused about that as like a 14 year old. Just like hearing like, well, she's he's made of tin. Her, her spell made this occur. Right. But who is he? Because it kind of sounds like that Bach guy. It, but how did that happen? Well, it also, I, I thought until reading the cast album that it was Fierro who turned into the Tin Man. Because the scene where Bach turns into the Tin Man is a book scene. Mm-hmm. The song where Fierro turns into, is turned into a scarecrow offstage is in a song. And, I, and yeah. when she goes all those things like make him unhurtable, make him all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. I'm like, Oh, this would make sense if it was Fierro. You make him yeah. totally have tin, and then he can't be because broken. they leave that song out of the cast album with um, Bach turning into the Tin Man. It's like right. a song with Nessa Rose, mm-hmm. and they leave that out entirely because um, the Wikipedia article I read today said that it was too much text and not enough song. Oh. So they leave that out, so you don't have that context clue, and you kind of just casually hear about the lion once, right? And, and that's and that's scene. in the in the like March of the. Witch Hunters, I think. Mm-hmm. He, Bach mentions yeah. the lion and says, like, this is her fault, too, mm-hmm. and I'm her fault. And... He couldn't, like... He, but he stumbles over calling her the witch. The reason I always thought it was Fierro is because he says, we have to head Elf, ah. and he says... I have a personal score to settle without... With the witch! It's due to her I'm made of tin. Her spell made this occur. So for once I'm glad I'm heartless. I'll be heartless killing her! <laughs> and I thought... Oh, that must be because he's conflicted about this. But it's yeah. So this show, you say, was was a huge f- effect on you mm-hmm. <laughs> from the jump, and continues to that day, to this day. And I'm I'm interested in in that sort of effect of of something and how it grows with you uh, as a creative person. So when you found this show, you were into theater. Yeah. So I was singing my whole life, and I started doing theater in middle school. Um, and then my first role in high school was Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz. And for me, that was this big thing coming in as a freshman, 
getting cast in the lead and mm. then just having like the claws of musical theater like sink themselves in me and not let go. Mm. And so I always have that strong connection to The Wizard of Oz. Um, the Wizard of Oz was my grandmother's favorite. Um, no, that's a lie. Not her favorite. It was a movie that like made a huge impression on my grandmother when she was a kid. She hated the flying monkeys and was terrible. So I'd always have that like echoing in my head of like The Wizard of Oz is scary. The Wizard of mm. Oz is scary. But Graham like was very affected by this. And I was like, I love this movie. This is great. <laughs> so she like, came to see the musical just because I was Dorothy. Oh, wow. Um, but it was one of those just the point in my life where like I remember learning um, – like I learned what clandestinely meant from the soundtrack. I learned what mm. um, life meant. I remember thinking, um, asking my mom questions about like, what does this word mean? What does this word mean? And I fell in love with the language of musical theater and how clever it can be. And then it just kind of became the show that I always went back to. It was the show that my best friend loved. It was the show that like every girl I knew loved at that point. It was like a common popular musical theater thing you could talk to other people about. Especially those who weren't like, I've heard about this random Sondheim musical. Do right. you love this too? You'd be like, well, have you heard of this show called Wicked? Yeah. And they'd be like, yeah. And you'd be able to have a conversation about it. And I wouldn't just be the strange theater girl in the corner. <laughs> so you knew a lot of shows before this one? Um, I had been around musical theater at that point for a while. Um, would I say I knew a lot of shows? Mm-hmm. No, but like singing was always a part of my house. Musicals were always around. Um, and I had just kind of started to fall into that hole of like, I will know all of the shows and I will know all of the things. Okay. Um, and by the time like I was in high school, like I had a good substantial chunk of musicals in my life that I would be able to point to that other people wouldn't know about. Mm-hmm. Now that was so that was then. So now you say the show sticks with you though, and it's it's in a similar way. Does it hold in a similar way? I shouldn't assume, or does it? Is it transformed or is it more nostalgic? How does it? I think it's a mix of both. Like it definitely still holds a nostalgia. Like I have very like specific moments that I can relate in certain songs. Um, Like I briefly mentioned an eighth grade love triangle earlier. Sure. Um, I remember I had this crush on a guy, and he had a crush on my friend who was beautiful and skinny and blonde and had curly hair and like. I'm not that girl applied way too perfectly to my life situation. I, like, have a very vivid memory of, like, a Valentine's Day in eighth grade because I was not a dramatic child at all. Um, Like, walking to this guy's house in my neighborhood and, like, going to hang out with him on Valentine's Day. And then he gave me a Valentine for this other girl and said, will you give it to her? And I, like, it literally started raining on my walk home. And I'm, like, in my sad corner in my head just, like, she who's winsome, she wins him. Like, gold hair with a gentle curl. Oh, man. <laughs> like, living my most tragic eighth grade life. Oh. Oh, Beth. Oh, So there are, gosh. like, moments like that that I just yeah. remember thinking, like, Ugh. It's even a little on the nose. My heart. It's too perfect. Did but- you not know that he liked her? Mm-mm. Oh. No, I didn't. When you're an eighth grader, you have such hope. Such you do, hope. and such not awareness of other people, no, especially yeah, that, boys. No, that part was definitely missing from eighth grade Beth. So. Yeah, well, and this guy too, obviously, because mm-hmm. like that's that's a crappy thing to do. He was. He was not great. <laughs> I don't think he would be a person to listen to this, but who knows? Well, no, but it's. I mean, okay, look, if we we can't all be held accountable for literally anything we did in eighth grade, I don't think. I mean, unless you committed a crime or so, like that's not. But like, no. <laughs> eighth grade eighth grade romance is the worst and Ugh. like that is 
that's terrible. So like there are moments like that that I can relate very sure. specific times in my life to. But there are also like I remember sitting. Did in, you give her the Valentine? Hang on. I did. Oh, look I at did. you being a good person. On top she of was that one of my really good friends well, that's too. Good. That's why it was the worst. It was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> she's too nice. She's one of those. Like she's so yeah. nice you can't like dislike her. I got you. It's the worst. Uh, yeah, they are kind the worst. Of those people. people. <laughs> I tell you what. I hate them. That's no, no they're good. too good. Um, but I also remember like having a conversation with my mom about language and talking of like learning what clandestinely meant mm-hmm. like and asking her about different words and remember her saying something very distinctly of like musical theater is very smart because they use language very well and like it was just like a stupid car conversation that was like a very defining thing mm-hmm. for me of like musicals are smart this isn't just silly this isn't just stupid like musicals are art and poetry and beautiful and important and use words in a way that you wouldn't use them in like colloquial speech. Mm -hmm. And I remember just thinking like, that is the coolest thing. Steven Schwartz, good job. (laughs) Like, good for you. Good job. (laughs) All right. So that's cool. And it's just, I don't know, like it's just one of those things where like I'll find myself singing it every now and again. And I've like been listening to it a lot the past couple of weeks since we decided we were doing this. Mm -hmm. And I like realize this was the first show like I learned how to kind of pick out harmonies on like I'm a very mm. visual learner I'm not very auditory which makes perfect sense for having a degree in music right um but I can like sing I remember like learning how to like pick out the harmonies by ear and sing those and I don't know it's just one of those shows that like when someone's like what's your favorite musical like I'll most likely say like Into the Woods to try and sound a little bit cooler mm-hmm. uh, but it's always wicked it's always in wicked. my heart alright well so that's a good transition into into a difficulty I've got I was in my 20s when this show came out and I remember seeing it at the Tony Awards mm-hmm. and it was and seeing Indina Menzel sing Defying Gravity and, and all that and she won of course which was great as, a, as an old school Rent fan I was very excited to see that um, but I have a lot of not issue. Issues is the wrong word. I am very confused by this show. Let me put it that way. I love Stephen Schwartz. I love Godspell. I love Children of Eden. I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of his work for Disney. I get – I don't hate this show. I don't want to say that because I don't also don't want to be like – but I don't want to be like the – you know, it's not that cool music theater thing. Where it's like, eh. But like when I listen to the album, I don't, I don't connect at all with it and I don't know what – causes that, which is why I listened to it twice as many times as I had, I, because I just thought I have to dig into this as deeply, like I have to get this into my bones so that I'm not being, make sure I'm not being like ignorant or dismissive. Like mm-hmm. I really have to like, like, let me dig into this thing and I see where I'm, I will chance. figure this out. <laughs> and it, it had the effect on me that I had listening to, this is a terribly unfair comparison. I'll preface with saying that when <laughs> Megan Reichelt was here, we talked about Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh. The show is way better than Scarlet Pimpernel. I'm going to preface with that. <laughs> I listened to that episode, okay. so I know what's so, up. So in, in that episode, I said that like at some point, the songs started to blend together for me, and I had mm-hmm. trouble focusing on it. I had trouble sticking with it. And that happens for me, I think, after Thank Goodness. There's like a chunk of time yeah. after Thank Goodness until we get to... Um, the next song that kept grabbing me was, um, oh, No Good Deed. There's like this, there are the, and there's a, there's a, one in the first section too, where like the song's kind of like something bad or something bad. Something bad. <laughs> bad. <laughs> um, until, you know, a later, later bit and like maybe when they go to, uh, to the Emerald City. It, it, it kind of just flops for a few minutes for me and I there's kind of like lose the so thread. There's like so much plot in there that is not like alluded to in the songs. Um, 
I yeah, and it's thoughts. a long, and the songs are very good. I mean, there's nothing like technically they're just good. They're just they feel like it feels like the show's kind of holding me at an arm's length, and I don't know. I don't know if that's because I was how old I was when I first heard it or where I was in my life. Like, because like post college me was Avenue Q all the way. And of course, these shows come out the same year. And that was like, that's my experience to mm-hmm. that. Like, Avenue Q was like exactly where I was at exactly that moment in 2003, fresh out of Catholic University. And Wicked had nothing to offer me then. And I bought the album because I liked this. I like Stephen Schwartz and I like some of the songs, but I, it sort of sat and languid, you know, languished for a while. Um, and I'll pick it up and I'll throw it in and you know you listen you hear popular or Define Gravity on the Broadway XM stations all the time like they just come in, in a kind of rotation but I kept kind of I always feel like this show is holding me at an emotional distance so what I'm really interested in is how this show hooks you in like what you think about it emotionally grabs you to that point I think a big part of it was where I was at mm-hmm. that point in my life like Elphaba is going into a new school and is kind of unsure of her place and like meets some person who doesn't really like her and then becomes her friend and then goes through all of these things of like we're learning to be adults and like this came out in 2003 when I was 12 mm-hmm. and was going from middle school to high school um, and then followed me into college into like a degree in musical theater where I could relate so many of those songs to so many of my life experiences. Like Avenue Q was my entire life, like post-2013, <laughs> and is still my life. Um, like literally, what do you do with the BM in musical theater? Yes, exactly right. Uh, please tell me, because I, I don't, the answer. I I don't, don't know. know. I, don't. <laughs> I really don't. Um, but I think a lot of it was where I was at that point in life. And like with you bringing up the difference, like, I wonder would it have hooked me now at this point. I think the music is gorgeous and like the orchestrations. Um, I mean, like I said, like I burst into tears at the overture. That wasn't right. like yes, that was like pounds and pounds of excitement piling up inside of me. But mm-hmm. it also was how beautiful that music was to me. Um, I think there's also the aspect of female friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, like sing for good without bursting into tears. Like a ship blown from its mooring by a wind of the sea, like a sea dropped by a sky bird in a distant world. Who can say if I've been changed for the better? I know you because I know you. I have been changed for good. Like, absolutely. Burst. That is a really nice song. I will, it is yeah. such a pretty song. But also, every single, like I said, every single girl in like a high school sang that right. ever. Like, we're graduating because I knew you. I've been changed <laughs> for good. Do you get it? Because it's like, I'm not necessarily saying that I loved you, but right. I'm telling you, but like, it's changed. you def changed me. Right. <laughs> Doesn't mean I like you. Just means that you've had an effect. It's on like me. this was so many people's graduation songs from like 2003 to 2010. I'm right. sure. Mm, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I I don't know. I think because for me, like there are a lot of comparisons into like my real life. Like um, I would definitely say like if I was Alphaba or Glinda, like I'm Alphaba. My best friend was a Glinda, and like I've had the same best friend since I was five years old, and like we fit into those categories very nicely. Um, and so it has that like emotional kind of hold on me, but. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I love Steven Schwartz. I think his music is so beautiful. And I'm like realizing as I'm trying to like talk this out and explain it, I don't really have a very articulate reason for why it's captured me for so long. Sure. 
it just kind of has. Well, if you could explain it, though, it wouldn't be magical. It would be textual. Like you could be like, this is why, you know, it's mm-hmm. very kind of. I yeah. enjoy Wicked. Right, because the tonal shifting and the blah, blah, blah. And I can sing Alphabet's part for the most part. There you go. Sort of. For the most part. <laughs> like, <laughs> the day I figured out how to like sing Wizard of Wizard and I like mm. kind of well right. was a great it was a good day. day. And so it will be for the rest of my life. And I want nothing else to die held in such high esteem. When people see me, they will scream. For half of us is favorite team. The wizard and So, but I, I never want to be part of that, like, dismissiveness of it, period. I never want to be dismissive of anything. And there are shows we've done in here that I that I really, really dislike, but uh, always with great comedic result. But this is a show that I have I have trouble with only because I don't, like I say, it, it doesn't grab me in, mm-hmm. in, in any way, really. Did you like The Wizard of Oz as a kid? Y- not especially. <laughs> I did. Like, I did. I did like it. We watched it a bunch. It was on television all the time when I was a kid. And so it would be something we would routinely see. Um, and I am a big fan of alternate narratives and stories mm-hmm. like this from that point of view yeah. and this from that. And I guess one of the things I didn't expect about this show was it to have – because The Wizard of Oz has a very simple plot, very, very simple plot. And you will drive yourself crazy trying to fit like wicked into the Wizard of Oz, right? And like trying to like analyze like, well, what was the scarecrow thinking? Because he was really buff this right. whole time. Well, and it's also be- Fiero this whole time. There is also the problem that Wicked, the musical, has to be based on the book, mm-hmm. The Wizard of Oz, not the film. Yes, which is why she can't. She just, does she have ruby slippers and? The, uh, Yes, they're like jeweled. Like Jewel, but they, they don't call them like. I can't remember if they call them ruby. I don't think they call them ruby red. slippers, right? Because that's a product of the movie. And there's a few other things like that where if it was in the film only, mm-hmm. if it was made up for the film, they couldn't have it in in the musical because those rights belong to to uh, MGM. Th- that's part of it. Is it's not taking a direct pull from the movie, yeah. which is what we're all familiar with. So there are moments where there's like a twisty turny, like, don't, nope, don't look at that. It's fine. Don't worry about <laughs> well, it. No, 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 go we're good. Here. And it is telling its own story. I mean, it is this, like, because it is in this weird place of alternate version of Wizard of Oz slash one of those, like, this is what really happened mm-hmm. kind of things. Like, that story you've heard is wrong. Like, this yeah. is the true story of the Wizard of Oz. And then it's kind of like fan fiction in a way of like, yeah. well, I'm going to take these two characters that I liked and I'm going to give them this whole backstory in different names and mm-hmm. like... It's going to be clever and like kind of darker than the family film and right. fun and delightful. And in reading the plot synopsis, I have to say the one thing that that has nothing to do with the album, but the one thing that disappointed me was the invention of a, of a villain in The Woman Who's the Press Secretary. Madame Marble. Yeah. Being I forgot kind of she was the bad villain. guy. She like is. When I went back through and read the plot today, trying to like fully like brush up, yeah. uh, I, I forgot completely that her whole like – deal is like I'm going to find a sorcerer so I can then go take them to the wizard and get her to read this book and like turn the monkeys into flying monkeys and then blame it on her and then we have a bad guy. Right. And I like blocked that out entirely. Is the issue with the animals ever explained? Like who want not not what's happening but who wants it the, to happen? It's supposedly the wizard. It is the wizard. Yeah. Okay. So um yeah, no, no. Like, I'm pretty sure it's the wizard, like with Madame Morble's influence. But then I can't. I was trying to think, like, well, when what's the consequence for the wizard at the end? But I don't 
remember what happens to him. Well, he gets kicked out, I think, is the way they – like, the show – They the say synopsis, that him going away – That he's expelled instead of, like, the balloon being, like, his idea. Like, Galinda expels so him in the balloon. I forget. She's uh, imprisoned. Great. By Galinda, I believe. That's good. Yeah, because Galinda does have this whole at the end, like, okay, like, this is great, but, like, this was not good. Right. Like, I'm going to have this great long flashback for two acts, and then we're going to come back right. and, like – and come back around again. Also, the other question I have is, does Glinda know that she's still alive? I think she does. Okay. There's the it's way, never directly addressed. No, but, it's never okay. directly addressed. But the way they stage it um, at the end, like, they have, and in the beginning, like, Glinda's up on this um, large kind of walkway deal, mm-hmm. um, looking out and addressing the crowd. And, like, the crowd disappears and goes into, um, like, the university setting. And then they come back for, thank goodness. And then when they reach the, finally at the end of the show... Um, they have it staged in a way like the crowd kind of disappears, like isn't paying attention, and Alphaba and Fiero come out of a trap door. Right. And it's like, we're alive and we're safe and I'm a scarecrow. Right. And like there's like a knowing look from <laughs> okay, the Okay, that walkway. was my question. Yeah, that she So had... they, they stage it in a way that kind of gives you the idea of like she was in on this plan or at in least – In some capacity. Yeah, or yeah. at least like trusted enough that – well, she would know that water wouldn't kill yes. Alphaba. She would know that. So yeah. she might – that's enough for me to be I like, love too that that is just like – just like some hearsay of like, yeah, that's it. That's like what someone's works. just like, I heard that she didn't like water because I saw right. her walk out of the rain one time. Because <laughs> that's the thing. Like, Madame Warble is having this conversation with her and she's like, come out of the rain. Like, we can't have you getting wet. Right. And that's like the first um, mention of like water can melt her. Right. Uh, and then it transformed into this like, I heard that water is going to kill right, her. Her soul is so unclean. Oh, my God. Because yeah. she's green. Right. And then it turns into this whole thing. I do say, Better. though, in defense of this plot for one second, I like the thing of the the wizard being her dad i like drawing all that green yeah that whoever i don't know if that was in the book or if that's probably it is in the book but the noticing that the green of the emerald city and the green of the witch like there's got to be some kind of connection Mm -hmm. there and having it be like and i remember having the thing of like i like the wreck like the voice of the young like have another drink yeah that sounds like joel gray right look at that that's kind of gray's up there hey joel gray i'm like all the greens and then it is joel gray it's like you are my father it's got a really good cast this oh show, God. Joel Gray, Indina Menzel, Kristen Chenoweth, Norbert Leo Butts. This is a pretty this good crew. This was like the first show that I fell in love with Norbert Leo Butts on. Yeah? Like, I would marry him. I would. Oh. I love him so much. So you haven't heard last five years because it wouldn't go out for uh, No, I have heard last five years. Actually, I was listening, <laughs> I was listening to the um, John Rubin episode on mm. last five years, and the um, production he referenced having seen, Yeah, I was Kathy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm like listening to it, and I was like, this is like, I love last five years, blah, right. blah, John Rubin's a nice man, listening to this, and I was like, wait a second. Yeah. He's like, I saw a community theater production of it in D.C. two years ago at the upstairs of a gay bar. I was like, that was me! (laughs) (laughs) I was that Kathy in a gay bar! (laughs) Well, there you go, John. We bring it up, we'll pull it in full circle. That's great. (laughs) So when you were listening to the show in preparation for this, was there anything memory-wise that kind of caught you off guard a little bit? I was listening to it in the car today, and Mm -hmm. I started singing Defying Gravity along with it. I started to cry and was like surprised because that's not like I'm I am one to cry at songs sure. this is not a shocking no safe space like, I do too bit of yeah. information mm-hmm. um but that's not normally the one that makes me cry in that show like I will like cry for good because it's like my best friend I love it mm-hmm. oh yay friendship and we'll get sad about it but I started to sing Defying Gravity today and like the idea of just like um what are the words to Defying Gravity she says, "Define gravity." So what? She does. 
<laughs> like something has changed within me. Something is not the same. I'm through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. I feel like all the time in this like actor world where you're kind of working sometimes and then not working at all and then like still trying to tell yourself like I'm an actor it's fine blah blah mm-hmm. that those lyrics from starting to like something has changed with me something's not the same I'm through with playing by the rules of somebody else's game like it starts kind of like hitting at you of just like you don't have to follow these rules and you don't have to like live your life the way it was prescribed to you by your parents or your school or the people who've come before you and have had success in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it like hit me today in a way that I wasn't expecting of just like, you can do all the things you want to do and you don't have to do it the way you want to do and right. that they want you to do it. It was like a very weird motivational pep talk moment with myself. But I think there's so many moments in this show in general where you can apply it to a certain place in your life like there's this whole moment of like this I think this person likes this other person better than me which I'm sure has happened in so many people's relationships Mm -hmm. and like love lives like there's the stuff of like this is like my true friendship song and I'm singing my piece with somebody there's this whole I'm gonna do the thing and I'm gonna do it the best way I can do it and I know how and you can't stop me and there uh, are like so many beautiful tender moments. I don't know. I think it's like a really, it has a nice emotional arc mm-hmm. that it can be really applicable to like wherever you are in your day. Um, it's not, I don't know, like it, it's not like a one note show where it's Well, just that's certainly like, true. Yeah. We're talking about this one topic. Like it's not, like I was listening to the A Chorus Line episode today. Like, <laughs> <laughs> listening to Farrell. Yeah. And I think it's not, A Chorus Line for me is so much like I'm a performer, I'm a performer, I'm a performer. Like mm-hmm. this is not just like a performer's show. Like this has so many emotional aspects that you as like an everyday normie can connect to mm-hmm. instead of just like this is a musical theater person show. As we're, as we're talking about it and as I'm putting the plot synopsis on top of the songs that you're talking about, it's occurring to me that a lot of the character growth doesn't happen, except for Defying Gravity, in the songs. Oh, yeah. That it happens, all, which might be one of the reasons that there, I, there's so I don't connect with it. There's so many scenes that just get left out. And, like, there's the whole relationship between Nessa Rose and Alphaba that you don't get in the cast album. Right. Like, she's having these feelings of, like, I'm going to the school. So, like, my dad's letting me go to the school specifically so I can take care of Nessa Rose. Right. And then Nessa gets put in, like, her own room. Because she's like has a disability, and Alphaba gets thrown in with Glinda, and she's feeling this feeling of like, well, what I'm supposed to take care of my sister? I'm supposed to take care of her, and then they get into like a couple tiffs about let me be my own person, but I'm your big sister. No, 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 that right. kind of like fight that like if you have a sibling, you can relate to. If you have someone who's acted like a caretaker, you can relate to. Um, and then they go from like that to Nessa taking over um, like, Munchkin Land. Yeah. And she gets, like, in a way, um, like, she feels, like, vindictive towards Alphaba. That, like, Alphaba kind of screwed her over. Right. And then Alphaba comes back and tries to fix it by giving her these, like, ruby slippers, glass slippers, whatever they are in this, um, and, like, enchanting them to, like, make her stand to be like, I'm so sorry I screwed up. Right. Like, I'm going to fix it. And then it backfires on her. And Nessa goes, like, bananas and yeah. ruins Buck and makes him into the Tin Man. Right. <laughs> so right. there's this whole relationship arc with them and character development for Alpha Bub. Like, I'm trying to do good. I'm trying to do good. Like, I'm trying to stay out of the way. And I keep screwing it up yeah. in ways that I don't intend to that is completely left out of the music. But it is true that the, there's not a lot – a lot of the big moments happen – 
in text. And so the songs kind of exist in this independently catchy moment. And I, I think maybe part of the problem is I find myself being like, wait, how did we get yeah. here? Which isn't, I mean, that's the way the show's been structured. So it's not like you can't really fault the album for simply like it's kind of like mm-hmm. a disempassioned dis- dis- reporter. But it is one of the things where it feels like to me there was a very clear decision made at some point to make this a one disc endeavor because it's 71 minutes long with and there obviously are cuts yeah. to it with very little dialogue, which is unusual for a modern album to have as little dialogue as this has. A couple song lead-ins and like a little bit in the middle of Defying Gravity just to get us between sections. And I think it could have gone it could have gone the other way where they could have produced it with lots of dialogue made it two discs because back in 2003 they still would have cared about that a little bit yes. and and then made it it would have been two discs that were kind of shorter like it would have been two short discs it's yeah. kind of an awkward length but I would have gotten plot out of it and it's just a question of what you want out More of a cast context. album yeah I wonder too if they decided like very specifically to keep a good part of the story as a surprise like I that's true I find myself thinking about this album versus um Dirty Rotten Scoundrels mm-hmm. when there's that part towards the end of the album where they're about to reveal like Sherry Renee Scott's been the bad guy this whole time right. and like there's a brief message from John Lithgow going like hello this is John Lithgow with a slight heads up to you listeners out there if you haven't yet seen Dirty Rotten Scoundrels the remaining tracks contain a few twists and turns of plot that could spoil your full enjoyment of the show so turn off your stereos, go order tickets, hire the babysitter, and come back at a later date. If you have seen the show, please play on and then order tickets to see it again, preferably at full price. I have children in college and a mortgage, and I'm a bit of a clothes horse. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so I wonder like, if there was a bit of that, of like, we don't really want to be very clear about who turns into the Tin Man and who turns into the Scarecrow. And... I don't see any reason to leave the Nessa Rose stuff out. I think they do a disservice to yeah. Nessa Rose's character. But I wonder if like that was motivated at all. It's entirely possible. I mean, Stephen Schwartz is a smart man. He's he's done this for a long time, and he's had successes on many different levels. Godspell and Pippin and, and, and uh, like I say, Children of Eden wasn't a huge hit, but I really like it. And so I wouldn't write that out. I, I kind of wonder if it, it became kind of a pragmatic choice just to keep it yeah. Tight. It is an older style cast album too, though. In that sense of like, it is just the songs, and the songs are isolated. Like the mm-hmm. songs don't even. It's not really like things don't lead into each other. No, sometimes. it's very much it's, like we're singing a song now, and right? Now and we're done. Boom. Yeah, it's very you know. Button. It's, it's yeah, and it is. It's a book. Like it's a, in structured that way. It seems like a, a book musical. Song, like scene, song, scene, song, song, yeah. song, scene, scene, song. It's interesting song. to me too that like we like it's a definitely a book musical, but I couldn't have told you who wrote the book until I looked it up today. Winnie Holtzman. She created my so-called life. The television show. Yes, the seminal television show. If you're my age, but, but her it book is doesn't Steve... get like credit. It's like, not this at is, all. Like, and she Stephen didn't. Schwartz's musical. Well, he and he did. I mean, he bought the rights. He was like, I've oh, seen an interview with him. Yeah, I saw an interview with him about the show where he read the book. And went to get the rights, assuming someone had already bought them. He's just like, somebody's already decided to make this a musical. This is clearly a musical. And nobody had. So he bought the rights. And so then he turned it into the show. So, you know, this was his idea to make mm-hmm. this a musical from from the jump. Um, so he gets, I mean, he should get the credit for it, absolutely, in this sort of conceptual 
this conceptual way. It's a, but it is a funny, like, I also think that there are some moments in it where I kind of, like, the song I think of, there's some songs that stand out because they're great. I mean, I think Divine Gravity is one of them. I think Popular is, is, is great mm-hmm. in its sort of, you know, campy kind of funny way. Yeah. Um, For Good, like you said, No Good Deed. These are all songs that I really like. And Thank Goodness, I think, is a good, catchy, fun song. But then you have a song like, I can't remember what the actual title of it is. Is it Sentimental Man? Because I skip them every single time. I am a sentimental man. Who always longed to be a father That's why I do the best I can To treat each citizen of ours as son or daughter So Elphaba, I'd like to raise you high Cause I think everyone deserves the chance to fly just hear it come on she's like I am a sentiment yeah and you're just (laughs) and that's the end of that yes okay no that yes but that's not what I was thinking of I think when wow I just can't remember what it's called because I call it loathing oh um, what is um, this feeling what is this feeling every little trait however small makes my very flesh begin to crawl with simple utter loathing there's a strange exhilaration in such total detestation it's so pure so strong Well, I'll tell you why I don't I like love it. That song. I it's funny, it's a really funny song, but it's this very unusual this is going to there's no way not to make this sound pretentious. So here I go. <laughs> there's this thing and you've experienced this, I know, doing musicals of simultaneous thought where char- dif- disparate characters mainly the chorus sing the same thing at the same time. Mm-hmm. And when you have like a song like Witch Hunter, the Witch Hunters, that makes a lot of sense yeah. or like Kill the Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Like mm-hmm. everybody's on the same page, so everybody's singing the same thing. But here we have two characters who are out of sync singing the same thing at the same time. That's part of it. But the other problem is I love the beginning of that little bit where they're writing the letters and they're getting the thing. And then it leads into once they start singing and it gets that like cha-cha rhythm, it feels feels out of place to me, the music. I don't know why, but it feels just kind of like – I don't know if it's happy and I want out it not to be. Out of place with the rest of the songs or out of place with the so words far, they're saying? So far. I feel like like it feels that. No, the lyrics and the music match very nicely. Tone and, and, and all mm-hmm. that. That works. It's just so far we haven't gotten a song like this yet. And it feels like a weird place to get it for me. I think. It's it's something huh. bugs it about. I just, I don't, I mean, it's something about that song just bugs me. And I really. I think it makes perfect sense for where they are as characters, though. Okay. Because you have, like, this new kind of, like, they're literally saying the words, what is this feeling? Right. And you have this new kind of, um, like, underscoring going on. But also they're in very different places from each other mm-hmm. and still trying to figure it out. Because at this point, they just, they just were forced into rooms with each other. And they haven't gone to, like, the ball yet. So they haven't right. had that moment of, like, oh, you are a nice person. Or, like, oh, I was kind of, like, um, like a mean person to you. I should do better this time. Mm-hmm. So they haven't had that yet. So I think having this different feeling music, out-of-place situation um, with the two of them, kind of, like, whatever you're feeling about that music, like, lends itself to their feelings at that time. Okay. I also can't say I fully agree with, like, 
how you don't like the music. That's I also fine. think like no, 13 year old I... Beth has like a hold on this music what? that will not let go. That it's just like, this is the best musical of all the musicals that ever which is, musicaled. <laughs> which is something we've talked about a lot on the show and something I'm very interested in. So like when you say 13 year old Beth like has this, like is defending the show oh, yeah. with a sword and a shield and is like not going <laughs> to let it go. I, I think that that's absolutely, that's great. And I want to, but that, what I'm really interested in is, does that emotional resonance hold that sort of same like, no, the show's great, kind of like, and I'm fine with that? I'm trying to say no, and I, I don't think I can. That's great. I think, yeah. I think you should say yes. I think that's the that's I'm trying a pure to, like, form of enjoyment. I'm trying to think, like, all right, there are parts where, like, it probably isn't great, and, like, I skip this one song every time, but, like... No, I Is there anything else you skip besides Cinema Man? No, it's literally just Cinema Cinema Man. Man. Not something bad, really? No. That drives me nuts. Okay, no, I think Dr. (laughs) Dillamond is so, like, underserved. I think he's a gem. Okay. And I... It's just so short, and the buying drives me nuts. So I just like I like I I like I know what happens. Just like something bad, right? Sorry sorry about that. (laughs) Well, anyway, maybe we should choose a different word. I don't know. (laughs) Instead of bad, something not good. Well, and it's true. That's the only like big kind of clue in the soundtrack of like there's this thing happening with the animals, which is a huge plot point. Right. When you think about it, you could think of Alphaba as like a huge activist that is like going after. When they kick um, the lion. I mean, what becomes the cowardly lion, they free the cowardly lion. Well, yeah, like the whole thing is that um, Dr. Gilliman gets like carried out of class as like you're a goat, bye. Right. And then they bring in like these government officials to teach class and bring the cowardly lion in a cage and are just like, this is where animals belong. And yeah. Alpha's like, no, that's terrible. I'm going to free this lion. And, and she and Fiero free the, free the lion. Mm-hmm. And then they fall madly in love. Yeah, like you do when you free a lion. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody, first dates, go to right, the zoo, go to zoo free, free a lion. lion. You'll never feel more alive. I'm really interested, though, also to ask you the question, why do you think people dislike this show? Why do you think it's derided? Literally in my head, I just went, who dislikes this? Like, that is what just went through my brain. Sure. Um, well, because like, was... like, it's like the anti-Sondheim musical. There's like Why is that? Okay, so hit on so that. So there's the idea, like, Sondheim is, like, very intelligent music. It's very difficult to learn. You have right. to really, like, sink your teeth in it to understand it. Like, he is a writer who writes for actors and has just, like, these beautiful bouts of text alongside these gorgeous, like, pieces of music. Um, and then there's the idea of, like, you have something, like, um, being alive versus like popular and those are very different feeling things mm-hmm. um, that's I think a terribly unfair comparison I know, right? <laughs> I, like but, how like, you, I like how you, but you set up a very nice straw man there where uh-huh. you're just like <laughs> but there's this feeling of like like Sondheim musicals are complicated and intelligent and difficult and like purposefully um presented to be like thought provoking and then there's musicals that like are made for commercial success or have mm-hmm. had commercial cons- commercial success like maybe i mean i'm sure you don't go the main reason to make a musical is not i'm going to make a gajillion dollars cuz that is not something that always happens right uh, but it's i'm sure Stephen Schwartz was thinking in his head like i could make some money out well it's of a family this. show yeah i, I just I, I i wonder if there's a certain resentment that comes with success that is easily identifiable. I also wonder if that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I think it's the hipster mentality. Yeah. It's like this show is successful and it's like based on a, it's not an original idea. Right. It's based on something. I think and... that's super important because you don't hear it about Chicago at no. all, which is monumentally successful now and was pretty, you know, ran for 700 some performances his first time out. So it was successful then, but it was 
even though it wasn't an original idea because it's based on a play, but still, it it is like an original, more original idea. Chorus line, same thing. Um, yeah, and they Phantom, don't feel as like much as like book musicals in a way. They're not like the traditional. They are playing with form. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But like Phantom, Lion King, Wicked, these shows are commercial, commercial blockbusters, blockbusters like... based on clearly identifiable source mm-hmm. material and things like that. And yeah. I re- it occurred to me after like the the seventh time I listened to the, to Wicked. Um, over the last couple of days that I really want to see it. That's kind of where I landed on this yeah. because I really, and I, I, my, my, our credit, my plan is this sort of like when he, ha- my son is seven, he's a little too young to take up to New York and see a show. But once he's old enough, like that would be like, it'd be wicked and it'd be, there's a couple others we've thought of, like if they're still running in a couple years that they take him up and like, that's a great first Broadway show. Yeah. So I really am interested to see, cause that's the thing of it. Like, the show is running. Like, the album isn't yeah. the show. The album is simply sections of the show. Mm-hmm. So I really want to see, what is this thing? And yeah. what is it, you know, what does it have to offer? I really think there's, like, an overwhelming magic to this show, especially if you know the soundtrack well. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it was just, like, me being just so excited and, like, at the perfect place in my life. Like, there are twists and turns to it that you don't get in the soundtrack mm-hmm. at all. There are storylines you don't get. There are bad guys you don't really get a sense for at all. And there's this whole, like, underlying deal with Alphaba's relationship with Galinda. Right. And how that develops that you get to an extent in the soundtrack, but, like, seeing it on stage is so different. Well, and reading the synopsis, like, I get that they really do have a profound effect on each other yeah like there's the like the little bit of dialogue you hear before defying gravity Mm -hmm. um where she's like like no don't go okay like whatever you can have this you can turn around um the reason why she's running away or what ends up happening like immediately after is that um madame morville basically like turns her in Right. Like says like the flying monkeys happen because Alphaba did it and Alphaba's terrible and we should all be mad at her run away now by. Right. And so Alphaba like flees in Defying Gravity and then it turns to Glinda where she all of a sudden is being praised as this like heroine who has banished the witch and saved us but she's still on the loose but we have to be so thankful that Glinda was there to protect so and so and so and she has to deal with this whole thing of like that was my friend, but I have to keep up appearances, but how long do you keep up this mm-hmm. facade of, like, I'm okay with this? And you don't get any of that emotional, Right, like, in the recording. Yeah. You get none of it. It's just kind of like, oh, okay, now they're now they're bad. Oh, but now they're good again. Yeah. But they're friends? And that's probably... What? what? I think that's my... Like, that at the end is probably my issue, is that I am... I, I think the music... Is in is in deep service to the book as it should be, but it's also the songs aren't. They're not piquing my interest enough to to draw me in. Mm-hmm. And then if the emotional arcs are really in the text, that's why I feel this like this distance from it. I guess yeah. is, is probably the you best. You only I get come like tiny with. tiny hints, like the part in like Thank Goodness where she's like, "Yes, we couldn't be happier, yeah. right, dear?" Right, like there's that line, like "Right, dear." Yeah, like that whole scene, like. She's basically announced to the crowd, like, Fiero and I are engaged. But, like, Fiero never asked her to get engaged. Right. And then she's thinking, like, I thought I was just doing this great publicity stunt to make everything better. And we're happy, right? Right? This is this is something I've never said about a, an album on the I'm show. I'm so excited. Yeah. But I really – oh, it's not going to be that exciting now. Right. I've built it up too much. Um, <laughs> I think that this album would be better with dialogue. Yeah. I am usually someone who does not like dialogue on 
on the cast albums, but I really think that, especially in a song like Thank Goodness, where clearly, like, the fiancé thing happens, and then Fierro leaves, and there's clearly a moment. Mm-hmm. And then, like, but I can hear in the music, like, the song couldn't be happier, fiancé, right, dear, all this stuff. And then, like, suddenly she's alone and sad, and, like, mm-hmm. I get that, but I have no idea like, why. though it is, I admit, a, a yeah. tiniest bit on, like, I anticipated, like, that is in there, but right. it doesn't. It, I, it, Maybe I, for their 15 year like anniversary, they should release a should do a concert a or something, two, right? Two disc two deluxe disc, full tilt. Give you more plot, script analysis. Deal-io. It's funny. So this album was produced by Stephen Schwartz, and I think this might be my problem because he's produced cast albums for Godspell, Pippin, and Wicked, mm-hmm. which are all one word. I'm not just realizing, and. I I we did Pippin in an earlier episode with Sarah Cohen and I hate that cast album. I love that show, but I hate that album specifically the way it's produced. It's very 70s and soft and kind of just it doesn't represent having seen that show so many times it does not represent the music the way I feel it should be represented. Now I didn't write it whatever. Godspell is great. I think also though foolproof kind of in a like because it's just nine people and a, like a piano and a guitar and a drum yeah. kit. Like it's really like we're just getting in a room and singing it. But I wonder if I wonder if he should have produced this album. It seems like if he should have given it over to somebody have, else, or co-produced it even with somebody who like would have been like, we really need some dialogue here, just a little. Like I'm not following huh. this. I'm not through because it. it He's too close to the material. I think he is. Yeah, I think that it's probably a bad idea, on balance, for the authors of musicals to produce their own albums, because. Just like I think on balance, it's a bad idea. We talked about this with Bridget's episode for writers to direct premieres of their work. Which is why she did not direct Smarty right. Pants. Exactly right. Because we wanted her to have space from it and be able to see an outside point of and view. And stand above it. And somebody should be there who you trust saying things like, that doesn't work. This needs clarity. This is a bit. Mm-hmm. And I also think it's a funny thing, though. Usually you'd get a writer producing their own material and it turns out very self-indulgent and there'd be like tons of like little musical scores and stuff. This feels like the opposite problem where he went, I'm going to cut this thing down to its bare essentials and we're going to get an album out of this that contains the music and only the music and we're going to get it. And I mean, this mm -hmm. could be like petty AF, but is it because he didn't write the book? It could be. I don't know. It's entirely. I mean, it, it's it's possible. Only we could be in Stephen Schwartz's mind. That's right true, now, and figure out. We would know. He's just like, yeah. And I don't. I don't want to assign malice to any of it, but it just feels like every now and again you need somebody else standing on the outside saying, "Oh, absolutely." Is this a good idea? Like this. This, yeah. This is a good idea. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned it too. Like, uh, should they do a concert version? Like, there's no existing like footage of the show beyond like bootleg YouTube stuff. Right. Like, the tiny Tony performances and then the yeah. commercials. Yeah. So you don't have any of those tech scenes like videoed somewhere for someone to go watch and then right. kind of connect to the material more. You've got a couple like random YouTube videos of like a couple failed moments and right. like lifts not working. Right. And yeah. People falling on the There's floor. There's a famous one, isn't there? Of, of... Of the lift not of working. Of the lift not working. It's, uh, from the West End with um, right. Carrie Ellis. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like she's like screaming, "Stop, stop!" Yeah, stop the lift. Yeah. And there's no like I couldn't find like a clear story on it ever. Of, like, yeah, and I just knew what happened. Hurt or did she just have a panic attack? But uh, like there's there's also they're like, not a, mutually exclusive either. I mean, no, it could have been. Yeah. There's like a a couple compilations of like Alphabet riffs and Defying Gravity. Yes, and which are very the, funny. The beautiful Idina option down. 
Have you heard this? No. Oh, it's delightful. It's oh, I'll like have to the hear that. like the ah yeah. that part, but she's like ah. Oh. Well, like, sometimes you go for it and it's she, not there. She like could not make it up there, and so she tried to go somewhere else, and it was just, and it didn't. It was just wrong. Didn't. Nope. Yeah, turned that car too late to turn the. Like, no, yeah. you can't. You can't go back. Well, and they both have. This is one of those shows where both the leads have standbys, like not just understudies, oh, but yeah. standbys. And oh, this is a monster of a show to sing. Oh, yeah. And it has like some famous standbys the, the of the original Lara production. Lara Bundy. Lara Bundy, exactly right, was standing by for Glinda, and that's how she got Legally Blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being no. the standby in Wicked. There's um, another podcast like Broadway Backstory. Yes. Oh, yes. And they just yes, did Patrick a Legally Collins. Blonde episode. Yes, they did. That's yeah. right. Yes, they yeah, yeah, listen to the same thing. I'm like really behind on my podcast, but I was listening yeah. to that like two days ago. I love that show. That's I a really love good love show. Love so what is your favorite song from Wicked, as we usually close with? My favorite song. I'm really bad at picking favorites. Because um, there's a favorite for like a different day or a different emotion. What was your, did you listen to it today? I did. What was your favorite today? It was Defying Gravity. Mostly because I like started getting emotional at it. But I also, I love them all equally. All well, except, except for, uh, for Sentimental Man. <laughs> that doesn't need to. Except for the one you earlier uh, said was terrible. Poor Joel Gray. I love you for I, so well, many reasons. Say, I think Joel Gray is just fine. I think but, Joel uh, Gray is just fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sure he's not missing my fandom from this one no, song. No, from this one song. Everything else again. he's done in life. Yeah. I will worship him oh, for. Oh, he's, but... yeah. All right. Well, fair enough, I yeah, guess. But that is the part in the text where he's, like, explaining to her, like, just, like, read this book. It's fine. Like, right. Nothing nothing you're going to, like, help this, this monkey, this like, see the birds they likes to watch. That's totally cool. Why it's does he not... hate the animals? I don't know. And I don't know if it's that just because like... I can't remember it. That's such a stupid thing to hate. But it's, it's the whole crux for why she, f- like, it's her whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. She she flees, frees the lion, gets called to the Emerald City, flips out about what she's been forced to do to the monkeys, and decides mm-hmm. to go rogue. It's all because of the animals. And even in Wonderful, I think she's, is it, she's almost seduced until she sees the professor in a cage as a goat, oh, right? Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so, like, the animals are the thing. Yeah. And if we can't remember, if you can't remember whether the wizard is in on it or not, no, he definitely is. Well, but like, but why is he doing it? I don't know now. Because because what's the Madame Morble? She's definitely in on it. Oh, and it was so. I wonder if it's just because... Is he just the front? Is he... Exactly, is right. Is she the man behind the Well, because she is, curtain? though. She is to a great... Like, there's that... I do know there's the scene... I haven't seen it, obviously, but I read about in the synopsis where she's on the balcony with Glinda when Glinda decides she's had enough when... Yeah. She's like, you're the villain. She's like, yeah, and so are you. Now, wave and smile. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, and she's like, nope. Yeah, that's the bridge too far for her in that moment. Yeah. 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 So what do you have... Um, what do you have going on that you can that you can plug? That Monumental has the rest of our 2017 season coming up. We are doing our first play ever. We're doing oh. uh, Five Lesbians Eating a Quiche. Okay. Um, May 6th through the 22nd at the Atlas Performing Arts Center. Nice. And then in uh, July with our like opening night, still a little bit TBD, we're doing Bonnie and Clyde the musical. Oh. So I'm living producery life right now. Okay. Um, and if we're going even further, like the next performery thing is I will be the September feature at La Chido. Oh, great. Yeah. All right. So that's a ways like out, that. but that's, that's like a, this is Beth as the actor. And people could find you at... Um, monumentaltheater.org or bethamon.net. Fantastic. Well, this was wonderful, Beth. Thank Yay. you so much for coming down. Thanks for having me. talking about this. This was great. 13-year-old Beth, her life is complete. That's... <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, I want to see the show. You should see I it. I want to see it. It's I want so to good. see it. I actively want and to. And there are so many just like talented people who have like gone through this show. Oh, sure. Well, and right now, like I read the current cast is seeing like Peter Scolari is playing the, the wizard. He of oh, really? Bodies if you, if, and recently won an Emmy for something. Yes. It's popular. Oh. You see what I did? I there? see what you did. My dad's going to be so proud You're of me. You're so clever. <laughs> the original cast was recorded at the Media Production Center at American University. Special thanks to Jeffrey Madison, Tom Fish, Imani Mular, and the tireless staff of students who run the front desk. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at OriginalCastPod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on Twitter at UnknownPenguin. You can email us at OriginalCastPod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe to the original cast on iTunes, and while you're there, please give us a comment and a rating so other people can find the show. My thanks to Beth Amon for coming down and talking to me tonight. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Ah!